Hey y'all, and welcome to Ain't No Such Thing, where we tell original southern horror stories. My name is Amanda, and I've got a good one for you tonight. The Mother of the Swamp 1. Triangular teeth clamped down, easily sliding through the base of the young girl's skull. The fervent shrieks of the revelers abruptly halted. Shannon Para floated face down in the swamp. Her body grew cold. 2. Even for a desolate town like Green Pond, the search party was small. Seven men and women, the oldest just 41, moved through the ankle-high water, shining their flashlights slowly across the liquid black horizon. The youngest, 19-year-old Carrie McCarthy, was on her own. None of them expected to find the girl. What they anticipated and feared were the creatures beneath the water's surface. A water snake writhed at the edge of the beam of light, frantically lurching as it birthed new life into the swamp. Its more dangerous cousins kept the dark nooks along the cypress trees. Earl Holcomb lifted his flashlight above his head, running a hand through his sweaty, gray-speckled hair. His lips curved downward in a natural frown, deepening only enough to be noticed by his wife. She paused, intermingling the light from her beam with his. Earl? She questioned, her voice barely a whisper, but the rest of the search party could hear her clearly. Patricia Holcomb had a voice deepened by decades of smoking. It crackled against the silence of the swamp. Earl, she repeated irritably. If you see something, you better tell me. I don't want to happen upon... Her words faded, but the unsaid lingered in the air. No one had come out here to find little Shannon Parra with her dirty blonde hair and gray-blue eyes. They were looking for a body. Well, no, Earl replied. I don't see nothing. He shifted his flashlight beam, sliding the ray of light back and forth across the water's surface. I don't hear nothing either, as a matter of fact. Gary Martin murmured in agreement. He, along with his younger brother Alan, were the former owner-operators of the Green Pond Airboat Tour. Though this section of the swamp was outside of their typical circuit, they knew Green Pond as well as any of the old families. Alan would have said that they knew it better, but Gary's four extra years on Earth had bestowed upon him a wisdom that his brother lacked. The old families had the smell of the swamp inside them. It ran in their blood. This is prime gator country, Alan affirmed but I haven't seen a single eye gleam this whole night. Sure, some might not be partial to the noise of us knocking around out here, but I expected we'd get the attention of at least one big boy. He tapped at the back of the bang stick on his hip. He'd prepared for such an eventuality. Frogs are gone too, Gary noted. Didn't expect them to be singing us a lullaby, he continued as he moved his flashlight beam from one tree to the next. But I ain't seen a one. Maybe they're asleep. Lisa Downing interjected. Of the searchers, Lisa stood out as the only one who belonged to the least. Her professionally dyed hair was up in a trendy do, and her capris were freshly pressed. Her move to Green Pond was only temporary as her husband finalized the deal for some cheap land along the highway. Christopher Downing, for his part, did a better job at trying to fit in amongst the locals. He shaved only every third day and replaced his khakis and button-up shirts with jeans and undershirts. They're nocturnal, Lisa. They don't sleep at night. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> anyway, the sun'll be up soon. We should head back and let the police know where we searched. 
The police. Gary snorted. There won't be police out here for a kid gone missing in the swamp. Not out here. This isn't like a drunk wandering off. It is. The swamp is the swamp. Gary turned the beam back toward Christopher. It's not where people get found. Oh, God. Carrie moaned, her voice childlike. The search party turned toward her. Slowly, the beams of light encompassed the team. Six gazes followed hers, but they did not find the bloated corpse of a child. Instead, Carrie stared in horror at a knot of freshly birthed water snakes contorted and dead, their mother with her head tilted toward the sky and mouth agape revealing white fangs bobbed at their side. 3. In the passing weeks, memories of Shannon Parra faded. The Parra family was a sizable clan, the largest of Green Pond, and little blonde children of assorted ages forever weaved in and out of their old wooden home. Earl turned his natural scowl toward the house. There wasn't an adult in eyesight, but the elder Paras always stuck to their property. Six kids. Plenty by modern standards, though word was that in the generations before the numbers were far more plentiful. Earl spat and counted again. Maybe he'd missed one, or perhaps one was somewhere else on the property. But the number felt wrong. It was the oldest two, he realized, who were missing. Ty, with the fine blonde hair and long face, and Dale, the shaggy blonde with missing front teeth. They weren't playing outside with their brothers and sisters. Earl supposed they weren't quite children anymore in any case. He'd seen them about town more often as of late, taking on the duties of adulthood. That wasn't to say that either of the boys were men yet, either. As often as Earl had seen them packing up groceries or running for late-night diapers, he'd also seen them showing off to the local girls, Carrie McCarthy among them. Like all the Paras, most of the folks of Green Pond were swamp people, and they prided themselves on that fact. With a dash of underage drinking quietly ignored by parents and neighbors alike, the boys would haul off into the swamp. They'd come back hauling a gator by its tail. The boys had perfected a routine of bravado to show off their skills handling the swamp beasts. While they tapped and aggravated the animal, Ty and Dale would take turns telling a story of how the Seminole Indians taught their family to wrangle gators. Earl, who'd lived in Green Pond for nearly two decades, recognized those stories for the crap that they were, but he felt no particular need to deflate the boys' egos. Hey, Earl, a tinny voice called. Earl turned back toward the road and found Gary Martin hanging his head out of the passenger side of his brother's truck. Gary? Alan? Earl replied in greeting, nodding his head. You ain't heard from the Downings lately, have you? Gary asked. His gaze had moved past Earl to the parachildren dashing in and about their home. Nope, Earl replied. Haven't seen them out this past week, in fact. I figure Chris signed his papers and that wife of his dragged him out of town by the year. Gary chuckled. It was a hollow sound lacking in mirth. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. She hated it here, didn't she? Earl didn't reply. There wasn't a soul in town who didn't know the answer to that question. All right, then. Gary finished slapping the door of Alan's truck in farewell. Earl watched them go before turning his attention back to the pirate children. Jed, the 12-year-old, held the youngest, a dirt-covered toddler, as he tried to change her diaper. The girl giggled and squirmed, twice slithering out of her brother's grasp before he secured the fresh diaper to her bottom. 4. Carrie pushed the lawnmower down the last stretch of grass. She gritted her teeth but kept her lips pursed together, trying to hide a grimace as she finished her lawn. 
Though they hadn't announced themselves, she knew she had onlookers. She could feel their gazes on her body. Cutting the engine, she turned and offered Ty and Dale a wave. Ty wasn't the worst to look at, particularly around Green Pond, but Carrie did her best to steer clear of the old town boys. Ty was only 17 for starters, but like the other teens from the old families, he had a particular way of looking at her that brought bile to the back of her throat. The way they talked about girls was the same way a dog breeder talked about the next year's pairings. Who was the best bitch to breed? Still, the social offerings in Green Pond were very meager, so Carrie tempered her revulsion and fell into the rhythm of polite conversation. Hey, she greeted, wiping the sweat from her brow. Everything all right? The teens looked at one another, Dale's Neanderthal brow furrowing, but Ty grinned. Yep, all good. And you're here because? Ty crossed his arms, his smile widening. We got something to show you, Care, out in the swamp. Dale watched his brother for a moment before offering an enthusiastic, affirming nod. Before long, he was grinning too, showing off the wide gap between his yellowed teeth. Uh-huh. Relax. I laughed, reaching into his pocket. It's a fossil. He withdrew his hand, revealing a long, hooked fang. Almost intact, he added, handing the tooth to Carrie. She took it, looking it over. It was broken off at the bottom, but still nearly as long as her hand. Is this an alligator tooth? She asked with some hesitation. The look was right, but the size was all wrong. (laughs) Something like it, Dale giggled. Big, ain't it? Carrie looked from Ty to Dale and back. Almost intact? The whole damn skull, Ty replied, stretching his arms out to emphasize the size of the beast. So, wanna see? Carrie ran her fingers over the tooth. Yeah, she replied after a moment. There wasn't much to see in Green Pond and there was even less to do. I wanna see it. 5. Alan shifted in his seat. The narrow metal bench was only comfortable for one butt cheek at a time, resulting in Alan's antsy shifting every few minutes. His brother, who'd nodded off a half hour before, didn't face the same struggle. Alan reached into a cooler, swirling his hand around in the ice-cold water before finding a cold beer. They reeled in a couple of tilapia so far. It wasn't what they wanted, but it would do to fill their bellies if they didn't catch anything better. As Alan popped the top, a feminine scream cut through the nighttime noises. Gary jerked awake, reaching for his fishing rod out of habit. The screaming stopped and the swamp went silent. Come on, Alan grunted, hopping out of the boat. He landed in wet soil that slurped at his boots. Gary shook off the last of his sleepiness and grabbed the flashlights, tossing one to his brother. The two men slipped deeper into the swamp, away from the paths where water flowed and you could maneuver a light boat. The land became a tangle of cypress cushioned by a thick layer of peat beneath the water's surface. A half hour passed. The spongy moss slowed the men's movement, but neither felt the need to rush. Like with Shannon Para, Gary and Alan weren't looking for a person. They were looking for a body. It was Gary who found her. Carrie McCarthy floated face down in the water, sticks and muck in her hair. Damn, Gary murmured, shifting her body. Bruises were already forming on her neck. Brown swamp water oozed from her mouth. This ain't an accident, Alan. She got held down. God damn. Alan moaned. At first, Gary assumed it was in reply. 
but Gary's flashlight shone deeper into the swamp. God damn, Gary echoed, his gaze following the beam of light. There, bobbing in the water, was a second body. Ty Para's head was upturned, his mouth agape, jaw unhinged. Bloodshot eyes shone red in the light. Six. Ty was blamed for Carrie's murder. His death, the coroner decided, was a result of the shock of killing her. It was a resolution that satisfied everyone well enough save the Martin brothers. They'd packed up their things the next day, opting to take their chances further south, where they'd be closer to the city. Alan ranted as he climbed into the truck, telling everyone who stopped about how the swamp had gone quiet that night. Days stretched into weeks. Memories of Ty Parra faded. Earl, however, found that more often than not, his morning walks with Patricia took them by the Parra homestead. There'd been six kids, he recalled, not including the older boys. Now, Earl and Patricia counted three children on the Parra porch. Jed sat on the rocking chair watching his younger sisters play with their dolls. Earl, Patricia said softly. Her gaze had settled onto the youngest girl whose diaper sagged with wet. Have you seen Dale since that night? Can't say I have, Earl replied. Jed lifted a hand and offered the couple a small wave. Earl waved back. Patricia did not. What about their parents? Nope. Earl confirmed, his natural frown deepening. There hadn't been a funeral for Ty, and all things considered that seemed fair. Patricia took a step toward the house and looked over her shoulder to ensure that Earl intended to follow. All right, Patricia, Earl acquiesced. We'll say hello and offer condolences if it seems right, but let's be quick about it. You know how they are. Patricia nodded and began her march toward the Para house. On the porch, Jed leaned forward in his rocking chair. Howdy, Mr. and Mrs. Holcomb. Y'all want some tea? Sure, Jed, that'd be nice, Patricia replied, lifting the youngest girl into her arms. She took a seat in the vacant rocker. The child giggled in her arms. Jed rose and headed toward the front door. Earl followed behind. Let me help you with that, he offered. Jed paused. His gray-blue eyes narrowed in internal debate. Okay. He finally sighed. I reckon you're a good one, Earl, even if you ain't from here. In the dining room, Earl froze. A long wooden table with a dozen chairs filled the space. At either end, William and Edna Parra sat, heads upturned and jaws unhinged, their flesh dehydrated and brittle stretched over bone. Jed cupped a glass jar filled with tea. Yep, he affirmed, offering the older man the glass. Earl didn't take it. Instead, he slid past the boy and rushed back out the door. Patricia! Earl bellowed, startling his wife. Take the girls and go to our place. Do it now. Jed stepped out the door behind him. Patricia looked from her husband, who was pale and sweaty, to the boy standing calmly at his side. All right, she replied, hefting both girls into her arms. But just go! Earl continued, heading toward the road. Jed followed him a calm shadow to a nervous man. Patricia did as her husband asked. Earl headed down the street, picking up the pace as the townsfolk watched. Here and there, one would stand, but a slight shake of the head from Jed sent them back to their rockers and seats. I ain't gonna kill you, Earl, Jed said quietly. I'm not Ty, 
or Dale. Earl nearly tripped over his own feet. The kid was calm. The neighbors were calm. Earl looked down the road and back again, running through the names of everyone that lived on that street. Though some had dark hair, most were blonde, and they all had those same gray-blue eyes. They know, Earl croaked. Their family, Jed replied. They were there the night Shannon died. Jed wrapped his slender hand around Earl's index finger and squeezed. I can show you if you'd like. 7. Shannon Parra squirmed in Dale's arms as he pulled her through the swamp. The air was thick with an incoming storm and frogs cried out in triumph. I don't wanna, Shannon whined. She whipped her head from side to side. Her parents weren't there, but plenty of adults were. None of them moved to help her, to pry Dale's arms from her, as they marched deeper into the swamp. Keep your mouth shut, Ty called from the front of the group. It was the first night his parents had trusted him to lead. He had no intention of letting his little sister's tantrum spoil the evening. As Shannon opened her mouth to reply, Dale pressed his arm against her face, quieting her. Rage bubbled within the girl. This wasn't her night. This wasn't her god. She bit down, clamping her teeth hard enough into her brother's flesh that she drew blood. Dale balled up a fist and slugged her in the side of the head. Her body went limp. Her breathing shuddered to a halt. When they reached the ancient skull, Ty examined his sister. He knew she was dead. He had to. Jed wasn't standing as close, but even he could tell she wasn't breathing. Ty led the ritual anyway. 8. There she is, Jed pointed, the mother of the swamp. Earl steadied his breath as he took in the massive skull jutting out from underneath the dark water. They were less than a mile from where they'd found Carrie's body, as best as Earl could tell. Go on, Jed urged. You can touch her. Seeing Earl's hesitation, Jed slipped past him and moved toward the giant skull. He caressed it, at first with his eyes, and then with his fingers. She's a beauty, ain't she? Earl stepped closer but did not reach out to touch the ancient beast. She's a life goddess, best I can tell, Jed stated, his fingers dancing over her teeth. I think she's been angry since Shannon. We're supposed to offer her our lives, Earl. But that night, Ty offered her death. Jed turned his blue-gray gaze toward Earl. Shannon was already dead when Ty slipped her body between her jaws, so she bit down and snuffed out my mom and pop. Ty kept trying to feed her to make it right, and we just kept dying. But you aren't dead, Mr. Holcomb, Jed said, motioning toward the gaping jaw, and I think maybe you can fix what's been broken. Earl's shoulders tensed. He understood the boy's meaning. The child was smaller than the gaping fossil by some measure, and a spindly thing. In his cut-off jean shorts and bare feet, Jed wasn't much of a threat. His words, however had weight beyond his years. You don't have to believe, Jed said, shrugging. Just do. And if I don't? Earl asked, eyeing the rows of teeth. It'll go down the line, Jed replied. One of the kids, I guess. We don't like to since they're too little to understand, you know. But she doesn't usually bite. And if she's still mad? 
then you die. Then I die. Earl reached out, placing a hand tentatively on her bony jaw. How? How old is she? He asked, his voice barely a whisper. Don't know. You reckon the dinosaurs had gods? Earl didn't reply. Instead, he slid his head into the massive opening between the fossil's teeth and closed his eyes. Phantom muscles contracted. An ancient salty breath caressed Earl's flesh. The jaw unhinged and teeth descended. Earl did not bleed. You've been listening to Ain't No Such Thing, The Mother of the Swamp, written by Erica Heflin, narrated and produced by Amanda Rachels. If you'd like to hear more of our original stories, then you need to subscribe to Ain't No Such Thing. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Patreon and Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash ain't no such thing. We'd love to hear from you. In our next episode, we continue our cryptid series with a deep dive on the Falk Monster. I bet you're going to enjoy it. I've also got a really fun original cryptid story that's going to be out for you later this week. We appreciate you listening. And we hope we're going to give you some really fun stuff here leading up to our beloved Halloween holiday. In the meantime, we hope you're all staying safe and taking care of yourselves. And we're going to be back with another one for you real soon.